Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. Today I'm talking with Nellie Ganesan, and did I say your name correctly? You did. Excellent. Okay. Who's passionate about advancing health equity, establishing meaningful partnerships in the community to improve patient outcomes, and driving cost of care down to ensure each individual has the resources they need to get the right care at the right time, regardless of geography, race, gender, or their financial situation. And this is because, of course, you, Nellie, are the executive director of health equity for J.P. Morgan Chase, actually Morgan Health. So I just wanted to actually start with you. We were talking a little bit a few minutes ago about where you grew up. And can you just give me a brief overview of your journey to this place of a master's in public health and your career in public health? Because you've actually done a lot there in your long career that it seems compressed in time because you're still very young. Thanks so much, Deb. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm excited to be here and sort of, you know, really enjoyed the conversation that we had earlier this year, really looking at health equity within the community as well. As you mentioned, leading this work for health equity on the Morgan Health team, which I'll talk a little bit about as well. The journey to getting here is always an interesting one. And I like love talking to folks who have sort of started their journey in the public health space. I grew up as a second generation immigrant, and I would say that a lot of that probably impacts how I think about this space. I grew up as a second generation immigrant. My parents are South Asian. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. So those are like three components that I think are very defining of. Well, Anchorage, Alaska. I mean, I just even find that little tidbit interesting. Why Anchorage? Yeah. Why Anchorage? Well, I was born there. So I would say that I did not necessarily (laughs) have a choice to grow up there. But um, my dad moved to the U.S. when he was nine, which for the South Asian community is a big deal. He was sort of, if you looked around, he lived in Seattle. His dad worked at Boeing and they were, I would say, a few of the individuals that looked like them in that community. He went to high school and college in the Seattle area and was offered a a very random job opportunity in Anchorage, Alaska when he started college. And, you know, very interestingly, and I think for folks that may be listening that like probably can associate with this, I think he almost wanted to go somewhere where there was no one that looked like him versus only like 10 people that looked Mm -hmm. like him Mm -hmm. at the time, because at the time, and I will say things are obviously very different, fast forward sort of 60 to 70 years. But, you know, at the time, there was still a little bit of confusion about sort of the color of his skin, what culture he associated with. You know, he wasn't black and he wasn't Asian and he wasn't white. And so there were sort of these these demographics of individuals that lived in the Pacific Northwest in sort of the late 40s, early 50s that kind of fit into these buckets. And and he wasn't one of those individuals. So for him, he was like, I'm going to get away from it all and go to this place where You know, it's also like a little bit of a new frontier. I mean, that's truly what Alaska is. It became a state very late, as many of you know. And so that is where he built his life, married my mother. They had an arranged marriage, which is beautiful. And she came from India and they were two of the first sort of Indians in the state of Alaska and really built a beautiful, strong, lovely Indian community in the Anchorage, Alaska area. So, you know, I would say that that has a lot to do with who I am today and my upbringing. Secondarily, I think being sort of a minority amongst minorities in the state of Alaska 
really impacted my interest in this area of cultural inclusivity, which I play into the health equity space rather than just looking at race and ethnicity, which I think is incredibly important, really understanding sort of how people show up and what are the aspects of their culture that are most important to them. I think it plays well beyond sort of the color of somebody's skin, especially when we think about healthcare. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. What drew you to public health specifically? Is there a story or is an origin story or is it just, again, relating to the disparities that existed and thinking, how could I have influence on that? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, there's two things here. One is being a South Asian descent. And I make this joke, hopefully, with a little bit of modesty and humor. You know, there was a natural pathway for me to become a doctor because that is what Indian kids in the U.S. do. That was sort of not in my cards per se. I just not don't have like a very strong background in kind of the scientific and clinical and medical nature of a lot of things. The one thing that I was very interested in in the medical field was around epidemiology and infectious diseases. I think if I were to have gone down the medical track, sort of this idea of infectious disease in the developing country is one that has always interested me. So that was my pathway to moving towards public health. I would say that the health equity lens really came a little bit later. I mean, I think if you do public health, most individuals who study public health, health equity is just like part of your education. And, you know, I make this comment frequently when I talk is that in other countries outside of the U.S., health equity is not a term. It's just health care, right? Yeah. The way that they're providing care to all of their members of their population is really just how they develop care because there is no, the equitable access thing outside of income is, is oftentimes just like one straight narrative. And in the U.S., I think we struggle a little bit with that for so many different reasons based on geography and zip code and income and career and whether you have insurance and all of these different things. And so the public health sort of lens, you know, really had me focus in on how different diseases can impact different populations, with probably, which probably got me this aspect of health equity. So let's actually get really clear for everybody that's going to be listening about what health equity is. We've talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're talking about social drivers of health. And now there's this, it seems like there's this thing that we're talking about, which is health equity. So what does it mean when you say those two words? Yeah. And I think that this is a good question to ask anybody that works in this space, because I have learned as being in this space that the answer can oftentimes vary. And not to say that one answer is wrong versus another, but I think it's just probably how folks think about it and what their implementation process is. You know, for me, the way that I have thought about this, and especially in this role that I'm currently in, thinking about health equity for a group of individuals that has insurance, again, which is very different than sort of looking at community-based approaches to health equity is that everyone, regardless of income, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of geography, is receiving the same type of care. And I think, and, and regardless of illness, I think that's the other thing that I would add that we sometimes don't talk about. Like, you know, there are sometimes folks that are more sick that are receiving better care than those that we may not know of individuals that have a diagnosis of disease because we are so focused on the sickest of the patients. Again, not to say that that's an issue, but just that there is an equitable sort of lens across all individuals that are receiving care. That's awesome. And and why does J.P. Morgan Chase care about health equity? Yeah, great question. J.P. Morgan Chase cares about health equity, I think, for two, two to three different reasons. And I'm going to provide a little bit of context and history here. For those that may not be familiar, there was an initiative that was started, I believe, uh, sort of 2018, early 2019, that was called Haven. Haven was focused on J.P. Morgan Chase, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon. It was a conglomerate of three of the largest employers in the United States who came together and said, 
We are tackling a number of other things. We are going to tackle healthcare. We're going to look at sort of cost and quality. They were covering close to 1.2 million employees across those three different entities in the U.S. And all of those sort of organizations had looked at their cost of how much, you know, how much they were paying for healthcare and said, we're going to try to address this. That experiment exercise lasted for a couple of years. There were a number of different reasons why it collapsed. I think for anyone that works at a large employer, you sort of understand that getting data about your employee population outside of the organization is very exhausting and sometimes does not happen. So that was probably a main driver as to why, you know, there was a little bit of dismantling of the organization. You know, the other thing is it's three very large organizations that I think have different objectives for what they're trying to solve for. So just to kind of put that aside, those were the three organizations that were involved. Amazon, as we know, has gone and done some sort of great work in healthcare. Berkshire is still focused on investing in sort of early to mid-stage companies in the healthcare space. J.P. Morgan Chase, and, you know, I would say the leadership here, including Jamie Dimon, was still very interested in understanding what are the drivers of cost from how much the firm as a whole is spending on healthcare, but then also is there an opportunity to reduce out-of-pocket costs for our employee population? You know, secondly, and I think many large employers see this, we as consumers also see this, we pay for healthcare every month, some of us, right? It comes out of our paycheck. It comes, however it is you pay for it. You could pay for it through the exchanges. And health insurance companies, you know, they look at costs and of course they look at outcomes. As an employer, like our benefits department, they are concerned about the costs that they are paying every year. They're concerned about the wellness and they're concerned about sort of the experience of the individual, but they may not necessarily be looking at outcomes over time, right? So you have an individual who has insurance every calendar year, they go to the doctor, they have a PCP, they do their biometric screening internally, they get a breast cancer screen, they do all the things they need to do, but somehow their A1C is still increasing or their hypertension is staying, you know, at the same level and they're on a med- it's being managed, but it's not necessarily decreasing. So I think part of what Morgan Health is also focused in is partnering with our benefits team to really understand that not only, you know, like we will continue to pay a certain amount of money for how our carriers cover us, but can we really like improve some of those outcomes of our employee population across the geographies that we live in? Now, again, that can't happen overnight, but since we have the data to see, you know, like how things look today, can we improve that over time? And what I find so fascinating about your comments, number one, I think that there is a huge part that's driven by economics and why wouldn't there be? And yet we're not actually addressing that kind of holistic view from the bigger perspective of society, right? Because so much of what we think about in healthcare and the care disparities that we're seeing or the health equity that we're trying to achieve is something that a healthcare delivery system can't do, an employer can't do, even together, there's that whole societal element that has to come in. We know that when we look at neighborhood deprivation indexes, those are reflective of the fact that they're going to have more gaps, more opportunities when it comes to social drivers that need to be addressed. But they exist because the the rent is cheaper, education is lower, they're living more in cramped conditions, they have to take a bus instead of being able to afford a car. So all of those things, it seems to me, also come into the health equity space that aren't necessarily addressed by an employer or by a delivery system as well. Is your work looking at kind of those bigger societal drivers in addition to what you're doing inside for employees and the partnerships that can happen in communities? Yeah, so I think the answer to that question is an early yes. 
So, you know, part of it is one, understanding what's happening with our population. So, yeah. and and I actually am the first person to say like, you know, we don't need to spend 10 years looking at the data. Like, I think we all know that like within the data, there are going to be issues. Like we can look at that over time, but what we are trying to establish internally and like you, you know, the point that you raised earlier on neighborhood deprivation index, like zip code is a driver of health. Like yep. whether you know, some people argue that it is not, but zip code is a clear driver of health. What we do have is like, you know, in a non sort of big brother way, we know where our employees live and work. And not again, not sort of again, at the zip code level, we are fortunate enough at JPMorgan Chase. And this is a little bit different than other large employers that I would say 80% of our population is in about seven to eight different geographies. Most of our employees are, are not remote. So we have the ability to build those partnerships within those communities. Now, you know this, Deb, and, and many people definitely probably know this, but some of the challenges that we may see in Louisiana are going to look different than those that we may see in Central California, yep. right? Yep. So part of what we are doing today is rather than tackling everything all at once, but like, can we learn enough about the population that we have in Louisiana, know what some of the social drivers are? We're not going to be able to, as an employer or as a health system, which we are not, but other health systems are, be able to probably uproot somebody from their house. Like that's, even though we know that that's a social driver of health, can we focus on like what the surroundings are? And that may just be getting them, you know, if we learn that like, and, and this this may be a silly example for employees, but I think we are, like we haven't seen it in our employee population, but I've seen it in larger data sets. If they are in a job where they're sitting at a desk 10 hours a day, just getting to work with our organization within that area to encourage folks to go on walk seems so simplistic, but I think that that's, you know, that's one piece of it. Do they live in a food desert? And, and, and again, I'm using Louisiana as an example, which probably isn't the right one right now, just given sort of our geography. But if they, if we learn within the geography of where our facility is located, that there are only fast food restaurants within that space, can we start to build like food delivery into the facility that JP Morgan is housed in? So I think, you know, those are not necessarily things that we are doing today, but like looking at the conditions where those individuals live and work. And as I mentioned, we don't necessarily have control over where somebody may be sending their child to school or what their physical housing looks like. But we, you know, we do have some knowledge about improvements that can be made in the geography that may surround a certain community. I think the other thing I'll just add to this that sort of gets to your point is, you know, we're starting with our population. I think that the end goal here is that it's like an uplift for everyone else that lives and works in those communities. And we're not targeting our employees. We just know we have the data for our employee population. I would think of it as like a little bit of a patchwork approach. If this works, it's also helping other people and ho hopefully helping other large employers think about what they may want to do as well. Right. And it is different I when you think about everybody that you're talking about really has a job and has insurance, which are two conditions that really do drive health equity that might not be true for a lot of people people, maybe even their household, maybe the community that they're in. And so it is going to take these kinds of conversations and partnerships to influence communities, politics, those kinds of things. So we can maybe move grocery stores into communities. We can think about how can we elevate the education that people actually have access to in public school or access to college, all of those kinds of things. There's one thing that seems quite pervasive no matter where you are which is prejudice, bias, and racism. Are there things that you're looking at internally that we could learn from? Yeah. 
That is a great question. There are, I mean, that is, could probably have 10 podcasts about that one topic. So, you know, I think there are, this is a little bit of a twofold question. One, and I'll go back to sort of a question that you had asked earlier too, around sort of why JP Morgan is committed to this, because I think it ties into this. One, the firm has a incredibly large financial commitment to racial equity. So that is, I think, one piece of sort of how the health equity component can fit into this discussion. So the firm as a whole, J.P. Morgan Chase as a bank, is doing a number of things to address some of the issues you are talking about. Now, whether they are directly linked to health or not is a different question. But like, for instance, looking at mortgages that are given to more communities of color. So that addresses kind of the housing issue, ensuring that various subpopulations that may not have access to federal student loan access sort of fall within that component. Again, that addresses sort of in an indirect way the health issue. So addressing for those areas of structural racism, I think, comes from the larger racial equity commitment. I would say on the Morgan Health side, specifically around what we are focused on, we're kind of structured in two different ways. One is around innovation, and then the other is around investments. We've got a pot of money, $250 million, to invest in new technologies, different kind of platforms that may accelerate the employer-sponsored insurance space. And within that work specifically, we are actually looking at each of those companies with a health equity lens. So what does that actually mean? One, are the populations that they are working with sort of addressing various subpopulations? Do they have language preference considered within their solution? If it is a provider-based solution, where is their recruitment coming from in terms of what communities of color may need or want? Right? We know I know this specifically as an immigrant and looking at my own mother, she prefers seeing a physician who is a female who looks like her, right? Who sort of has South Asian beliefs, who understands her diet, who potentially understands what the race of community thinks about the South Asian culture. So we are looking at all of those elements in the investments that we do. So subpopulations, language preference, you know, whether they are collecting race and ethnicity data for good versus sort of creating any kind of bias, whether their provider network looks diverse whether they have community health workers, social workers, all of those things. So whether that's removing structural racism, I think maybe it doesn't get to that, but we are hoping to move the needle across with some of those investments based on that. Do you think that health equity is a political issue? Uh, Deb, throwing me a softball here. Uh, (laughs) um, I'm going to answer that question with a solid yes. I think health equity is a political issue. I think looking at both sides of the playing field, it sort of falls within the same category as like education and healthcare in some cases. I think it's a political issue in a sense that it oftentimes get pushed under the rug and on Capitol Hill, a place that I live in and live very close to where it comes up frequently. I think the idea of health equity oftentimes is transitioned into something around structural racism, which, you know, in some cases is accurate. Do I think it should be a political issue? Um, The answer to that question is definitely not back to the earlier point of how you define health equity. It's just ensuring that everyone has the same access to care. So in my opinion, it is not a um, is not a political issue, but it, it does tend to be from a funding perspective. Yeah. And I think that it reflects our values, right? That the structure that we have reflects the value that we have in that not everybody does have access to health care. And so that will always remain a political issue as we grapple with that as a nation about who does and doesn't have health care who does or doesn't deserve to have health care, I think is still even actually debated as well. So I think that it absolutely is a political issue, even just from an infrastructure standpoint, as we think about who should and does have access to health care and why. One of the places that we know that people get access to health care at a very vulnerable time in their life is around maternity, that we know that pregnant moms actually a lot of times have excellent health care when they haven't even had access before 
And even when that happens, there are still huge disparities in maternal health care around people of color that also has huge implications for them, the health of their babies, reflects the health of their communities, and is a driver of expense. Is there anything that J.P. Morgan Health is doing in that space when it comes to thinking about pregnant moms and babies? Yeah, and thank you so much for bringing this up. I think a couple things here. One is obviously, uh, you know, a number of folks probably saw the recent maternal mortality data that was slightly jarring. Although if you've been in this space, probably not that much of a surprise, especially when you compare outcomes to what are happening in the U.S. versus other developing countries where there are way worse outcomes in other spaces, but maternal mortality outcomes tend to be okay in a number of other countries. And so that is one piece that I will just say, like personally, you know, it's an area that I'm very invested in. Not just from, and then I'll talk a little bit about sort of what Morgan Health is doing in this space, but I think also to better, and this goes back to the point that I made early on, is there is a piece around just sort of listening to your individuals and your patients and your consumers. And I think the maternal mortality crisis is a great example of that. There are so many stories of Black women who are, you know, at the upper echelon of wealth. So it was not a wealth issue and it was strictly due to them not being heard individuals not, you know, coming in and saying that they were anemic and physicians not necessarily listening to them. And so transitioning that to what we do here, we are looking at a number of maternal health solutions for our population there. And I say that and like, what does that mean? So solutions being are there, um, we've seen with communities of color, doulas and midwives are great resources and advocates for various individuals. We are looking at solutions in that space. Also thinking about what is an approach that we can have with our carriers to have better care navigation for all of our birthing individuals. And third, I think, you know, we hadn't holistically when we started this team looked at outcomes within sort of this space. We are fortunate enough as being an entity, again, of individuals that have insurance and have access to jobs that the maternal mortality issue is not necessarily a challenge here. We've had zero deaths as it relates to mortality in the maternal space, which is great news. But that being said, is there a journey that we can create that makes the birthing experience better and sort of less scary for individuals that are expecting? Yep. One question I do have, and again, uh, might not have an answer for this. One of the things that happened with COVID was actually a lot of women leaving the workforce. And yeah. again, when you think about health equity and access to health care, the fact that women don't make as much as men, that they hold less senior positions, and then they also act as caregivers so often, I think, which is such a hidden role for so many people, so many women in particular. Did you see women leaving the workforce disproportionately during COVID? Yeah, great question. And I actually will talk a little bit about sort of our focus area in caregiving as well, because I think that this is an important one. During the pandemic, I would say like every workforce, our HR team was just trying to navigate what made sense, right? We are a bank, which is a little bit different than some organizations that had the flexibility to go fully remote. We were remote at the very start of COVID. We, for the most part, in many spaces, call centers, we run branches, we have, you know, folks that are bankers. We are, for the most part, back in the office. And so, yes, this, of course, had a disproportionate impact on women and on individuals that I think that were caregiving for their children or elderly parents, which, you know, I think that that also makes up a significant portion of the workforce that cannot go understated for what that time actually looks like. So, yes, to probably a disproportionate impact on women. 
Do I have like an exact number of what that looks like? Probably not. But like I can tell you sort of that as a result of what we learned from the impact that this had on various individuals really thought holistically internally about what caregiving could look like. We have a set of business resource groups internally, which are focused on different subgroups. We've got one that is focused on Black Americans, on Asian Americans, individuals that work in the administrative professional field, folks that are of the younger generation. There was a group, I do believe that it actually existed before COVID, but I think it's gone into full force that was really around caregiving. For the most part, that was around taking care of young children, but it was a network that was created to share like what works for them, Mm -hmm. right? During the pandemic, and I think we all went through this, It was a matter of just talking to people like, oh, I have these two small young children. Like, what are you doing with your kids while you're working? So that BRG, the business research group, I think has really come into full force. We are now not just Morgan Health, the benefits team as well is engaging with them a little bit more to see, like, what are the solutions that would actually help them? JP Morgan is a very large employer. We do have access to like child care resources that would be beneficial to them. So looking more at like, what are the solutions that would be useful? And then on the other side of that, there's a, you know, there's a subgroup of the population that is also taking care of elderly parents or elderly relatives that are in their house. And so what are the resources that would be useful for them? Is it care navigation to schedule appointments for those individuals? Is it, you know, is it using some version of the EAP, which is an employee assistance program to like almost have as just like a resource to like help you navigate the day? Is it blocking out 90 minutes of your calendar to be able to set up appointments for those individuals? And so we're trying to assess whether the need is actually there for something like that and then move forward on on some type of solution there. One of the things that I think we learned through the pandemic together was how much work could happen at home. And while this was really great in a lot of ways, I think it was eye-opening. It was also really hard. But there's a whole community that said, we've been telling you this all along. Right. And so it comes to ableism and the disabled community that really is, again, advocating for themselves around different ways of working, different places of working, et cetera. How does health equity actually dovetail into the whole ableism or disabled world? Yeah, I think the level of flexibility and, you know, I won't speak specifically for my employer, but like more broadly, you know, the, the level of flexibility that was introduced as a result of the pandemic. I think was very beneficial for various communities, you know, those individuals that have learning disabilities, those individuals that are physically disabled, those individuals that potentially, I think their extension of, I'll call it sort of the fear of COVID went, you know, extended longer than others, those that also just have like severe health risk that may not have wanted to be in different offices or different settings or on public transportation. In most cases, that's how individuals were getting to work. That level of flexibility, I think, has been a benefit for a number of populations. I would say that, like, you know, just on the side of the bank, it is probably an environment where versus a number of other physical workplaces that are in the D.C. area where folks did were back in the office a little bit sooner. That being said, we elevated that ability to be more flexible if those were some of the concerns that individuals had. And I, you know, I want to say, and I'm answering this in a very roundabout way, but to say that, you know, this is an advancement in the health equity space. However, I think in some cases we're getting back to a world where folks that may not be present in an office place where individuals are whether we could come back to sort of, you know, the the playing field that existed before. So we'll be interesting to see that trajectory. I think it gave everyone like an equal opportunity to perform at such a high level from wherever it was that they're working. But now that a number of individuals are coming back into the office, 
it will be good to sort of continue to, to push the lever on that. And I think that what's going to help understand that is what you've referred to earlier, which is data, right? To be able to look at who decided to work from home, who decided to come in the office when you had that choice. Did it affect career trajectories? Does it matter that you literally have face-to-face time with your boss? Or is it enough that you're doing a great job and you never actually cause your boss to worry about things? So I think there's just so much still that has to be learned and figured out how to do it right because it's still so new to all of us. General topics are not necessarily related to your employer as well. What about climate science and health equity? We know that things are changing when it comes to the world that we're living in, and also that there are piled on to sometimes these neighborhood deprivation indexes that people are just living in places where they're going to be much more affected. What is the role that we have in acknowledging that and addressing that? Yeah, I mean, the link between climate and health equity is huge. And I think actually, in my opinion, probably not discussed enough. This could also be because I'm not necessarily playing in those spaces as much. I think it will continue to be a huge factor. I mean, we know that a clear driver of poor health is is housing. Like that is one of the like solid drivers of poor health. Housing comes from the neighborhood that you live in and the neighborhood that is built around you. There is a lot of really good work that's being done. One, I think actually the global philanthropy team here at JPMorgan Chase is also looking at this, like, can we get individuals into better housing situations? And whether that means clean air, whether that means, you know, looking at sort of the assessment of the houses that individuals live in that were built hundreds of years ago that may just have sort of mold and asbestos within those homes, like what the link is to health outcomes. And so that conversation is going to become more and more clear. I mean, neighborhood is just, I think, one of the pieces that is a huge factor today and I think will continue to be become more of the health conversation. You know, when we think about what individuals may necessarily not know, so, you know, I'll use a very basic example. We could have a single mother in, you know, South Texas who may be focused on the health of her children and the health of herself. She may be getting the resources she needs from a provider around what she should be eating to like provide, you know, healthier options to for her kids, potentially putting them in after school programs so they're not involved in, you know, different activities that they may not want to be. But the driver of understanding what her neighborhood looks like and the fact that there could be smog or the fact that there could be water pollution issues doesn't necessarily come up in those conversations. And so you know, one thing, and this is something that I'm hearing about more and more, is just in the training, the medical school training, to really start to address those issues. So social determinants of health comes up oftentimes in conversations, but not necessarily understanding where individuals live and what they're, you know, are they in a multi-generational household? All of those sort of drivers that also impact housing. I think building building that piece into understanding built environment with an individual will hopefully continue to play a factor. And to play back on that, I actually was in a meeting this morning and was asked, well, does the care delivery system, can they actually do anything about where you live? Why ask the question if you can't actually answer it? And so I think that the the conversations that we're having, the data that we're really driving to, which is to have some uniformity in that so that we know that we are speaking the same language, back to your point earlier about how do we define health equity, getting some commonality with all of the terms then we can start to dial down into what does this mean? What does this mean for this individual? And back to the politics or the political aspect of it. And how do we then build out the resources so that we, as a care delivery system or a care provider, can say, here's where you can actually find some relief, some results, some resources 
that will help you in your own pursuit of equitable care for you, your family, your employer space, your community that you live in. But it's, I feel like we're just at the beginning of this journey together. Deb, I would say that I agree with you. There isn't, and this is sort of the point that I made earlier as an employer, even if we know that their housing situation is not great, we may not be able to do, we can't physically uplift them and move them into a different house. A health system or a provider may not be able to do the same thing, but there is sort of a balance of understanding what their environment looks like to be able to, and I think this is what you just said, to provide them resources that even allow them to live in that environment, right? So even if the housing situation is not great, if the climate situation is not great, there can, you know, there are so many solutions out there that are aiming to address rather than prevent. And I think that that's still important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this whole conversation is really one of those silver linings of COVID, other catastrophes that we've been having, which is we are starting to have the conversations about health justice, health equity, and how we can drive that together as a healthcare delivery system, such as Kaiser Permanente, or as an employer, and and how we then interact together and also in our communities as well. So let's really kind of get down to tactics about how is it that we find out what we need to know in the health equity space. I think that there are things that are incredibly individual. And when you aggregate those individual concerns, actually represent things that need to be done for the collective. So what's your advice at really getting granular? Because I think that what happens at J.P. Morgan Chase is different than what happens in a whitewater rafting company or a, you know, whatever the company is, the needs will be different. There's some that are the same. There's some that are different. So how do we get to that place of really understanding what our employees need? Yeah. I mean, I think that that is a journey that we are still on. So one is as we listen to our employees, and, and when I say listening, it's you know a little bit through, there's different modalities for how we do that, whether it's through the affinity groups, whether it is through an employee survey that we conduct that is a little bit more focused on healthcare, whether that is just stories that we hear as being this new team that's been created where people come to us. You know, I think there's different sort of aggregation of what it is that we're hearing. So I think there are certain things that we, we will hear that will bucket into, we don't know things. So maybe that is like, a you know, improving the navigation system that we have working with our carriers, working with our health plans. The sort of second bucket of that could be, I need this. And like JP Morgan Chase doesn't necessarily offer this. So then there's an evaluation of like how many individuals or how many members have said that that's a solution that they needed. Referencing a comment that I made earlier, we're hearing from folks that this component or this concept of caregiving is taking up a lot of time of individuals and sort of impacting workforce productivity. So is there, you know, something that we can look at that solves for that? So I think those are, you know, those are two things. One, evaluating like what the needs are. And I say that to say that we we can't solve for every person to cover 300,000 lives. If 300,000 individuals come to us with a different solution, of course, we're not going to implement 300,000 solutions, but where is sort of the max capacity of what we can do? The third, I think, at least from a Morgan Health perspective, is like, what is it from a listening perspective that can be implemented that has scale and spreadability to other large employers? So, you know, hopefully that is answering your question, both that was asked around what is the tactical approach to listening? And I don't, you know, we don't have an answer today. I don't know that we'll even have one in sort of one year to 18 months to two years, but potentially some of those needs that were raised in sort of the max capacity have have been addressed. 
Yeah. And the follow-up to that is really around through the listening that you've done, I'm sure you've identified some systemic issues. And sometimes those are actually in the healthcare delivery space. And there's there's benefits, and that's one side of it for sure, which you actually have a lot more direct control of, right? You can say, we're going to cover this as a benefit. But in your listening, in your identifying what people need, is there anything that stands out as far as care providers or delivery systems that we just haven't been responsive enough to in meeting these needs around health equity? I mean, a constant challenge that arises both on the consumer side as well as vendors and or solutions or health systems or providers is sort of the piece that I mentioned earlier, which is I don't necessarily think that the answer is to add more things. I think for a lot of individuals, having an appropriate navigation approach is what solves a lot of challenges for them. So I say that in that, you know, one of the things that we are focused on is this concept of advanced primary care, which is just ensuring that individuals have access to a primary care physician that they like. Not to say that the primary care physician can solve for everything, but adding in 25 solutions doesn't necessarily solve for that aspect of primary care. So, you know, that's something that we hear frequently, like by giving individuals too many options, they likely pick no options. I think what I heard is it's around that finding your way into the system so that, and it goes back to the heart of what I love about primary care and internal medicine is that ongoing relationship and and finding solutions on behalf of my patients, partnering with them around what they need. And fortunately, being in a system like the one I'm in, where people actually do have resources with social workers or different things that connect them to the community. But I love what you said around, sometimes there's just too many choices. And having that conversation with someone who knows you, who's known you over time, who understands what your value system is and what you can afford and helps you make choices from that place of experience and knowledge of medicine, what, what's going to be bang for the buck and help you actually be healthier and close those health equity gaps, I think is kind of where you went with that. Couldn't agree more. And I'll just add, you just reminded me of something as well. I mean, I think the other piece of it is that, you know, Morgan Health as an innovation team working with the benefits team and trying different things out in different markets, we are not trying to add more solutions to to what we are doing. I think that that's maybe, you know, what folks might have thought we were going to do initially, like with all of the saturated vendor market, we're not trying to add like 40 more solutions to our plan or to the offerings to our employee population. We are just trying to ensure that like what we have that is available for them meets a majority of the needs that they have. That doesn't necessarily mean that one individual would have access to something for CKD and for diabetes and for chronic care management, but do they have sort of a navigation approach to respond to a health-related issue that they would have regardless of, you know, who they are? Yeah, absolutely. And I think underlying all of this is the work that still needs to be done by everybody, which is why do these disparities exist in the first place? And looking at those causal factors, addressing racism addressing that bias and prejudice that exists so that we can build equity into the research that we do, so that we can build equity into making sure that people have either virtual or in-person access, 
and doing what we can, to your point, of bringing health to them when sometimes we can't get them to the healthy place. So for people who are maybe wearing a corporate hat of one way or another, whether it's in HR or finance, and are just on the beginning of their journey into the health equity space, what advice would you have for them, Nellie? One, I would say this one seems simplistic, but not every employer or every corporate organization is focused on this, right? For the most part, most employers, if you are self-insured, you have a benefits department and you are looking at how much you pay for insurance every year. In some cases, you probably have you know, some kind of wellness program, depending on the size of your employer that you offer to your employees. But this piece on driving innovation in the employer space, you know, it's new and it's hard. I will say that That is probably a reason why people don't necessarily go into the space, but caring about what your employees need beyond wellness. And when I say beyond wellness, I sort of mean looking at long-term outcomes, looking at what their, uh, as we just talked about, sort of what their environmental needs are, looking at sort of the, the caregiving support, looking at maternal care, looking at diabetes, as we know is high prevalence in the United States, being very specific about chronic condition management. That is my advice to individuals and folks. Even if the benefits team exists, have a person or a team, you know, a small team that is actually driving innovation beyond what the traditional benefits team looks like. We were fortunate enough at JPMorgan Chase that the benefits team was already caring and looking at those things since we insure close to 300,000 individuals, it becomes part of your job. But the, the driving innovation piece would be my feedback to employers and or other organizations in the health equity space specifically, you know, and I say this frequently is that it's a little bit of a patchwork approach. Everyone is really trying to figure this out right now around what they do. We work with Kaiser in the state of California, and they are doing great work in their Medicaid and Medicare population. I think this is a joint partnership to understand what are the health equity needs amongst those individuals that have insurance and that have access to a salary and in most cases have access to education. Some of the pieces that we also know are a poor driver of inequitable outcomes. And so with all of those tools that individuals have, we're still seeing disparities. And so if we can't solve for that in this population, it is going to be a much larger discussion once we go sort of outside of the employee population. And so I would push other employers to really start to think about what that looks like for your population. And that could be as simple as listening to your employees. I can't you know, stress that enough around what are the needs? The health equity needs for an employee population are going to be very different than those for a Medicaid and a Medicare population. But understand what those are. In some cases, it could just be that the provider network isn't diverse enough. Can we as an employer do something about that? Potentially, we can work with our carriers to look at what that pipeline looks like. We can upskill nurse practitioners and different PAs to be operating at a level that works for our population. So yes, those are my two pieces of advice. And I would add to that, just educating the general workforces about resources are available. We, Kaiser Permanente, actually did a survey during the pandemic and found that even in households with a combined income of 125000 a year, there was one unmet social need. And so it's not just simply poverty-driven. It's what is your life like every day? And sometimes if one wage earner falls out of that house, everything changes. So as I meet with our customers, as I give them this data that we're, we're able to share, I see the look of surprise when we talk about you actually have unhoused people in your populations. You have people who are sleeping on someone else's couch. You have people with food insecurity. But again, there are resources. And so just communicating those out so that people can access them 
there's still a lot of stigma around these unmet needs and health equity. And I think talking about it, validating it, finding our commonality that again, sometimes we are just one car accident away from also having that occur to us and our lives are changed forever. If I think that I am in one of those groups that we've talked about, maybe I'm not the best educated or I, you know, I couldn't afford to go to college or I live in a multi-generational household or I am a black woman who is pregnant. What's your advice for the individual when it comes to health equity? I think that one, the resources that exist for individuals are sometimes plentiful. And I say that in the sense that, and I will use individuals that work within my employer we almost have too many things that we, and we could say this as consumers, right? There are too many things that are being offered to us that we sometimes don't know where to start. And I think rather than getting overwhelmed, if you are, and I'll, and I'll maybe say this again about individuals that are sort of employed with an employer, it is likely that through your carrier, you have access to a care navigator. Kaiser has great care navigators. There is a phone number on the back of your insurance card that you can call that sort of gets you in that right direction. I think that that is actually like surprisingly a very good place to start as it relates to healthcare and health equity provider identification. I think if you don't necessarily know who you need to see, we know that during the pandemic, mental health was an access to mental health services, you know, was there was a shortage of mental health providers. And I think that lever of using a care navigator could get you somewhere that you may have needed. It may not have been a licensed therapist, but there are a number of other individuals sort of that would be able to help with your needs. The care navigator is a good place. If you are employed, I'm actually a huge seller of this component, which I was not before I came to this job. But your EAP program is actually also a very good resource. In I most second that. Yes, I totally second yeah. that, Nellie, that people, it's like an untapped gem of a resource. Yeah, those are the two places, I think, just from like a phone call that I would start with. You know, if you are in a situation, Deb, you raised this earlier around stigma associated with if you were addressing a social need. I think your business resource group, if you participate in a, and lots of organizations have these, that is also a really good resource if there is somebody that you feel sort of confident having that conversation with. That also is a wealth of resources specifically for your community. Again, fortunate enough at JPMorgan Chase that they're very well developed, but affinity groups, business resource groups, sort of individuals that likely fit within a very similar box to yourself. Again, not exactly the same, but share some, in some cases, cultural needs as, as you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's common to all the advice that we're giving here is ask for help because yeah. it's most likely there. You just might not know where to find it. But having that ability to just ask will put you in touch with other people who are like-minded. Nellie, this has been such a great conversation, and I always like to ask if there's anything that you wish that I would have asked about that I didn't. You know, a lot of times I'm asked whether I think that health equity movement is disappearing because was mm -hmm. it just a hot term for, you know, a couple of years as a result of so many things, of everything that sort of took place. I would say that even if we are still talking about the same things that we were talking about three years ago, I actually think that that is giving more justice to the terms of health equity and the access of health equity than we did 10 years ago. And so, you know, that that's just one piece that I would say, I don't think the movement is going away. Obviously, I play in this space. So hopefully it is definitely not going away. But the more and more we can talk about it and continue to even potentially have the same conversations, 
that's expanding the network of individuals that may not have known that disparities were an issue or that inequitable care were an issue. And there are some organizations that have really led the way in this space for more than just the last three years that this, you know, that topic item was being addressed. So those would be sort of my two pieces to just say, and I mentioned this earlier, the only other thing is I would say is there's lots of organizations that say, we're waiting for the data, we're waiting for the data, we're waiting for the data to start to do things. We know what the data says. We know what the data will say. So I think you can start to make small tests of change, like wherever you are. Yeah, I totally agree. You don't really need to wait because people need our help now. And so offering that up is really just the kind and decent thing to do. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our time, our conversation. I've enjoyed you. And I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's so vitally important right now and must be actually quite exciting to be leading that, to be on the cutting edge of changing the conversation. So it's, it's been a real pleasure for me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And to all those that are doing this work, I would say that it is not for the faint of heart. So yes, <laughs> steadfast, continue. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thanks to my guests for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Health Fuse podcast with Deb Friesen, MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation and will share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have, and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.